Hello, and welcome to Beyond the Shelf, the product and packaging podcast, where we interview the people behind the amazing products we use every day. I'm Laura Foti, and I'm thrilled to be speaking with Jan Tharp, the president and CEO of Bumblebee Seafood, a 120-year-old leader in the seafood industry. Jan is known as a transformational leader within the industry, among her peers, and with Bumblebee employees, and is dedicated to continuing to redefine what sustainability means for the seafood industry. Under her leadership, Bumblebee was named one of the top places to work in 2019 and 2020 by the San Diego Union Tribune. In addition, she was announced as San Diego Business Journal's 2020 CEO of the Year Award. She's also a board member of the National Fisheries Institute and International Seafood Sustainability Foundation, Good Catch Foods, and is actively engaged with Bumblebee's work with organizations, including World Wildlife Fund, the Marine Stewardship Council, and the Global Ghost Gear Initiative. She is someone who I find extremely impressive and extremely inspiring. Jen, welcome to the podcast. Laura, thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be speaking with you. I know we've met a few times over the years, and I've loved following your story and what you're doing at Bumblebee. To start off, for those who may not be familiar with you, can you give an, a brief overview of your career and what led you to Bumblebee? Absolutely. I started my career way back when, many moons ago, as a packaging engineer, graduate of Michigan State School of Packaging, fantastic school and went to work for the H.J. Hines Company and many of their different affiliates, predominantly in packaging roles. And that led me to really get interested in not only packaging, but the equipment side of packaging and the purchasing side. So expanded into the sourcing role uh, at H.J. Hines and, and then moved out of H.J. Hines into a privately held company that was beverages and isotonics, and then again, expanded out into operations and ultimately found my way from there to the seafood industry. And I have been in the seafood industry for the last 12 years at the Bumblebee Seafood Company. And I spent a little bit of time at one of our competitors, Starkist Foods. Absolutely love the seafood industry. Still involved in packaging. Uh, but as you mentioned earlier, right now, I've got the honor of running this 120-year-old company with the fantastic team I've got around me. Yeah, and I've gotten to meet some of your team, and they are truly fantastic. Uh, I love that your background's in packaging. Go Spartans, by the way. We work with Oregon right. State. I've been there. It's super cold. Um, but <laughs> it's great in the summer. It's when when it's not in when class is not in session. It's beautiful to be there. Exactly. Um, I love that your background is in packaging. Do you think that gives you a competitive advantage? as a CEO in kind of the food CPG space? I think anyone who has a background in packaging has an advantage uh, just because it's just such a phenomenal background, especially for CPG when you think about it. It's, it's material, it's branding, it's equipment. It is the vehicle, really think about a package and what it does. Uh, a packaging can be the brand. That is what gets people to decide, do they want product X or, or product Y? And so I think... Having a background and having an appreciation for packaging has certainly helped. I mean, one of the things I love to do is walk through grocery stores and go down every single aisle and, and look at packaging. And, you know, I think sometimes that bothers my team members because they're like, oh, she's there again and she's sending us more packages. But I think it is a it's a passion and it's so critical to differentiate your brand through packaging. 
Totally agree. And as a marketer, I really believe we're living in time in a time where packaging is the product. And it, it used to not be that way. It felt like, you know, 20 years ago, packaging was really just viewed as the vehicle to deliver something to a customer. And now it really is thought of as a differentiator, a reason why someone is buying it. Why do you think that is playing a bigger role today than it used to? I think when people are looking at products, they they look at it from a much more holistic perspective today. And what I mean by holistic is, you know, people don't like it when things are overpackaged and they think about things like sustainability and they think about life cycle analysis and how do you get something to market without doing harm to the environment. And I think that companies that can figure out, hey, how do I get my product to market and and also have a secondary life, let's say, for that package or do something right for society with respect to ensuring that the package is recyclable or easily recyclable, which, you know, there's a, a lot of different definitions of recyclability. But I, I just think there is people understand more today that there's nothing, there's no such thing as an infinite resource. And in this one world that we all share, we all need to protect it. And so packaging is a lot more important. You, know, you think about uh, the straw ban in California, the plastic ban on on plastics in California. Not that I necessarily agree with those because I don't think that's getting to the root problem. But people are starting to vote with their dollars. And, and when they vote with their dollars, they're picking companies and they're picking products that really have that sustainability elements. So I think that might be part of the reason why things are different today. Absolutely. Uh, I love that you talked about the rich history that Bumblebee has, you know, 120 year old company. How do you balance stewarding such an iconic brand with bringing it into the future? I imagine that must be difficult at times. I, I think we all look at it as it's a it's an exciting opportunity to have. We've got 120 years of history, which is phenomenal. But what we really want is this entrepreneurial spirit. And, and we want innovation and creativity. We want to breathe life back into a brand and a category, Laura, to be honest. The category has declined, you know. And I think that the people that we're finding to join our team are people who really want to solve some of the most challenging uh, puzzles in in CPG because it isn't easy. And that's what's exciting for us is that here's an opportunity to take something that my grandparents ate and try to make it relevant to my kids or their kids and, and highlight something that we all believe is a fantastic clean protein and meets all the trends that are out there today. But how do you do that when you're in a category that's lost relevance? And, and I think it's that challenge that keeps people coming and people motivated to try to find a win. Yeah. What are some of the ways you're breathing uh, new life into the category, as you said? Uh, lots of different things. So we talked about sustainability earlier. And you, know, you just take... Uh, so if my grandmother were walking down the grocery store aisle, she would not have ever seen a pouch. Uh, in fact, closer to home, my mother, who's 80, will never use a pouch. I give her samples all the time and I go back home and I open her pantry and I see the pouches are there from like five years ago. I'm like, mom, why aren't you having, why aren't you eating the pouch? She's like, oh, I just, you know, I don't know what to do with it. Well, you do exactly what you would do with a canned product. But the older consumer, it's a foreign package. And, and so they're going to, a lot of them are steering clear. Millennials. 
they understand what to do with a pouch. So, you know, I've got a brother who will open it up and he doesn't even use cutlery. You know, he'll just <laughs> try to eat it right out of the pouch without any kind of uh, fork or knife. But uh, I think that the younger generation does absolutely understand what to do with it. It's super convenient. Uh, just think about I throw one in my backpack when I'm traveling on a plane. And if I get stuck in an airport or stuck in a hotel and I want quick, lean, clean protein, it's a great meal. And uh, so I think that you look at that innovation of pouch. Pouch has been around a while, uh, but not just pouch. Some of our ready to eat meals, something that we just introduced is protein on the run. That is my favorite new product that we have. And it is just it's a three ounce easy peel lid. So if you want to talk about packaging, easy peel, you don't need a, a can opener. Um, and we've got this phenomenal, one of our four flavors is jalapeno and olive oil with sea salt crackers. So it's a much more sophisticated cracker than what typically you'd see in a meal kit and a caramel for the end. And I'm telling you, I can eat two of those and I eat them probably three or four times a week. So again, convenient. You've got to be relevant to what people are looking for. People are still looking for convenience. Even after COVID, you know, people are fatigued with you know, making big dinners. I mean, we all love that at the very beginning. Yeah, let's cook at home. Let's get out the bread maker and do all that. And then after two years, people don't want that anymore. They, they want to be able to have the convenience ready to eat. So a lot of our new products are around ready to eat, not just an ingredient like a canned tuna. We've got a, another new product that just hit the market called Quick Catch, which is a mix of tuna, pasta, vegetables, again, a, a one meal very fast, high in protein, very nutritious. So uh, that's really it. Convenience, health, convenience. We like to think of ourselves as a health and wellness company. And so I think all of our innovation around product is generally around health and wellness. I love that. And my trainers would be very happy with me for picking this up because they're always telling me I need to eat more seafood and that I need to get lean protein that's efficient in macros. And this pouch, 16 grams of protein for 100 calories. That's pretty good. It is, you know, fun fact is tuna is, with respect to protein per calorie, I think it is number one or number two. So if you're looking for a ton of protein and not a lot of calories, you're not going to find much that's better than that, especially in an animal protein. So, uh, and it doesn't have the cholesterol. So it's, yeah, keep eating that. It's one thing that I find interesting. I couldn't help but admire the packaging and a, a fun story. I've had this before. When I went to go buy this, the aisle signage says canned seafood. And when you walk down the aisle, most of the stuff is in pouches these days. And I thought if that isn't if that isn't like a sign that this category is changing and innovating, I don't know what is. You know, that's a really fascinating point. And as often as I am in the retail grocery stores, I see it. But maybe because I'm in this industry, I haven't made that connection. But, you know, the point that you're making, fascinating point. Not only do we have to be relevant to the new consumers, the younger consumers that we want to get into the category, the other challenge we have is our customers, because our customers, the buyers at retailers, kind of look at our category as a maintenance category, you know, nothing sexy, center of the store, you know, when they've got to figure out what they want to put on end dial and display, they usually want growth, things that are growing. And so it's really an education process, not just for consumers, but for customers to say, you know what, this is not an old stodgy category. This is a fantastic category. And 
And I didn't make that connection till now. Certainly, I'm going to go back to our sales team uh, and let them know you're right. The signage in the store shouldn't say canned meat or canned tuna. It, it should say, you know, it should just say the best protein on earth. Maybe they should just <laughs> say that. And <laughs> we would get more more customers down the aisle. One of the things I really loved, like I'm, I, I admire packaging. So I work, I get to work with a lot of people that are in product development and packaging. I loved the matte finish because most of your competitors have a gloss. I thought that was really interesting. It felt very premium. And then I thought this, I'm a marketer, right? So I think a lot about the marketing claims that a product has. And I thought the ones you highlighted were really interesting and something I hadn't thought about. You talk about it being dolphin safe, mm-hmm. high in protein with a little kettlebell, which I appreciated. And then wild caught. And I thought that was, I mean, when we think about innovation, oftentimes we're thinking about a new flavor or, or you know, a new ing- ingredient we're using. But I, I thought this was very interesting too. So can you talk a little bit about what innovation means to you beyond the actual physical product or even the package? Absolutely. When we look at our business strategies, they tend to align themselves under three different pillars and it's people, product and planet. And so you and I spoke a little bit earlier about our product pillar and the innovation around product. Uh, we have just as much innovation on people and on planet. And so you just hit on a lot of those in the package itself. Innovation can come in a lot of different ways. And when we look at sustainability, sustainability is one of those terms that you, know, you can ask 10 people and you'll get 10 different answers as to what it means. And inside our company, we break that down again. You'll, you'll find that I like threes because it's easier for me to remember. But in our planet pillar, we have fish, oceans, and people again. So people continue to show up in, in all of our strategies. But planet, again, how do you be innovative on planet? Well, you focus in on recyclability. You focus in on things like wild caught, dolphin safe. You're doing what's right for the oceans. We only have one. So we all have to do our part. And you look at our business, our business for the most part extracts from the ocean. So we are in the business of extracting. And so we're also a business that wants to grow. So how do you decouple that growth with your environmental footprint? Your sustainability policies and your innovation has to be equally weighted with your product innovation. We can't just come up with new products and not think about how they're packaged. We can't not think about what happens to that plastic or paperboard or aluminum can. If you look at most of our, 98% of our packaging actually is easily recyclable. But there's a ton of innovation coming from the sustainability pillar and you're seeing it across a lot of different brands. And again, it's protecting the resources that we all share so that our grandkids and their grandkids can still have a healthy ocean and we can continue to produce our great products. But you can't do that in a vacuum. You've got to always be thinking about how is the how are these two concepts interconnected? And they are. Product and packaging are inextricably linked. They have to be. Uh, you can't look at one without the other. Absolutely. One thing you mentioned that I love is just this idea that we sometimes have finite resources and that you're extracting, you know, tuna and seafood from the ocean. I I know that you were at the forefront of Bumblebee's joint venture with Gathered Foods, uh, which makes good catch plant-based seafood. Can you talk a little bit about that partnership and and how that kind of maybe speaks to your point on innovation um, in an unconventional way? 
Yeah, that's a great one for innovation. And I think when you look at the trend in in plant-based products, whether it's meat, dairy, or in this case, fish, generally consumers go plant-based for one of three reasons. They care about their environment, they care about their health, or for ethical reasons. And so when we looked at the opportunity to start partnering with gathered foods on a plant-based seafood, I would say that the the main focus really was on that sustainability side, because I, I think that seafood is very healthy. So people wouldn't do people probably wouldn't migrate uh, for health reasons and ethical reasons is uh, another can of worms. So I'll just focus in on, on sustainability. But again, you look at in between now and 2050, if the numbers are right, uh, we assume that the population is going to increase to about nine billion people. And that demand on seafood is going to continue, and there's no way. The math absolutely doesn't work where you can continue to extract from the ocean from a wild-caught species and and fuel that increase in demand. So in looking at it, you need to have innovation. You need to have other options. And, And so we like to say that we embrace all options. It's not that one is better than the other. It's not that one is a competitor of another. I like the word and, and I try to use it a lot. There's no reason why we can't have traditional wild-caught seafood sit next to plant-based seafood, sit next to cell-based seafood or other options that are out there because ultimately you can't continue to extract from the ocean and have growth. You've got to have other options. And do I think that is going to make a huge dent in, in our sustainability policy? Probably not. But it's one of many measures that we need to be considering so that we can do our part to maintain a healthy ocean. So I loved that innovation. I think our customers clearly loved it because it was different. We're seeing a, a lot of takeaway on the food service side. So the frozen side, we are finding some consumers are really interested in it. Not, not 100%. Actually, interesting point. People who buy plant-based seafood are also buying traditional. So it's working the way we wanted it to. It's like a rising tide floats all boats. So people coming in that may say, oh, I don't like seafood. And they try plant-based and they're like, hey, that doesn't taste too bad. Let me try this. You know, let me try salmon, real salmon. And and you are seeing that crossover effect. So that's that's really good for both our businesses, Bumblebee and, and Good Catch. I love the idea of and not or. I think when I think about sustainability and the choices that I try to make, I know that I can't be sustainable in every single thing that I do, but I try to do a few things, you know, well, like I drive a hybrid or I use a reusable water bottle, but I also sometimes use plastic utensils and I try to like not beat myself up over it. And I love this idea that like, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. If we all are just making these small changes, we can collectively have this big impact. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that as well. You know, we're human, so we're we're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. But if we could try, then, you know, take one small step. And I think that's better than doing nothing. What, you know, I think it's really interesting that you partnered with a company instead of having, making that decision to start plant-based seafood within Bumblebee. Can you talk a little bit about your decision on that approach to innovation? Yeah, for lots of reasons, I think that makes sense. When you think about what you do best and what we had inside Bumblebee is a lot of very talented people uh, sourcing and producing wild-caught seafood. 
Uh, and that was our expertise. And quite honestly, when we started looking at this several years ago, uh, we had a team of people try to make plant-based seafood. It was terrible, Laura. It was awful. You know, um, so that wasn't our expertise. And really what we found is that when we partnered with Gathered Foods that are super passionate, and sometimes their philosophies uh, are at odds with ours, but they're super passionate about plant-based seafood. And so their enthusiasm and passion resulted in some fantastic culinary delights. I mean, their culinary is off the charts. It's awesome. We could never have done that. And so in this partnership, we've let them do what they do best. They're fantastic marketers and their culinary is spot on. That's not where we excel. Where we excel is the blocking and tackling behind the scenes. We're really good at sales. We're good at supply chain. We're good at back office. So we were able to work with them and, and take the strengths of Bumblebee and the strengths of gathered foods and move forward together much faster than if we wanted to say, oh, well, let's just try to do this on our own. We wouldn't have come up with the kind of branding that they came up with. We would not have come up with the excellent culinary that they did. And we don't have the passion because that's not what we do. If our team is super passionate about wild caught fisheries, we've got people with tattoos of yellowfin on their arms. They are not going to make a six bean tuna salad. They're just not. And but the guys that are making, you know, the tuna salads and the the salmon and all of the plant-based products are doing a really good job because they're passionate about it. So partnerships, I think, can clearly expedite innovation in a way that when you think about leveraging strengths, the more partnerships that you can get into, I think the stronger you'll be in any category. I love that. And I think this is something that a lot of the successful CPG and food brands will start doing more of because I feel like the old model used to be we're going to acquire a company in a new category. And then, you know, I worked at a big company. Sometimes you then squash the innovation that made that company so great. And so I do think it makes sense, you know, the approach that you're talking about, which is partner with them, let them do what they're great at, bring the skills that you're good at. And then together you both, you know, go further. So I love that. One thing that I'd love to pick your brain on I get to talk to a lot of executives uh, that work at large CPG companies, and many are talking about the need for skew rationalization, uh, especially to control costs. Um, I know, especially for the price points of your product, you know, unit economics are probably something you're thinking about, yet they're trying to balance that with the consumer demand for more variety and more innovative packaging, which sometimes costs more. So how do you balance those two kind of conflicting trends, if you will? I think it's a headache that we all have because you're absolutely right. You want innovation and efficiency. So it, it really means that you need to take a step back and figure out where you're selling your products. I think that's our strategy. Uh, what you want is to give the consumers that are shopping in different channels what they're looking for. So for instance, if you are walking through a 7-Eleven, you're looking for convenience. You're not looking for a 12-pack, you know, bundle shrink wrap tuna. Yeah, it's probably not what you're looking for. You're looking for lunch that day. You might be looking for breakfast, a snack. Uh, so I think if you look at innovation through the lens of what channel and what consumer you're trying to attract, I think that's probably the only way you're going to get to that and statement that we talked about earlier. How do you innovate and get efficient? 
you got to have the right products in the right channels in front of the consumers that are seeking those products. And, and I think, you know, when you go back and you look at food today, when I was a kid, pretty much, and it wasn't that long ago, but you'd all, you'd buy all of your food at a grocery store. That's it. I don't remember Costco being around when I was a kid, but maybe they weren't in my town, but you didn't have the choices that you have today and the channels that you have today to purchase food. It was usually everybody went to the same place. And and now with this plethora of places online, convenience stores, quick serve, everything. I saw a vending machine the other day where you, you know you could get your lunch. So uh, it's opened up a lot of opportunity for innovation, for packaging, by the way, because each channel has to have its own type of package, uh, which is awesome. But that's where I think the innovation can come if you can figure out what products, what channel and not make the assumption like what we used to do 20, 25 years ago that, oh, well, here's my package. It, this exact same package is going to go to all the channels. It, it just doesn't work that way. Not today. It's very much specialized today. And the consumer needs of what they're seeking needs to be considered. And that varies by channel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh you talk about people being a core part of your strategy. And one thing that I've heard you talk about in the past that I find fascinating, you know, are the, is the fact that the baby boomers are retiring and you're looking at your next, the next generation of your workforce that's maybe coming into your business expecting different things or maybe surprised by how things are run. How are you navigating that as a leader and thinking about equipping the next generation of your workforce and yet maintaining all the knowledge of those great employees that are retiring? Yeah, that's another challenge that I think everybody is dealing with. But it is interesting. We all started working whenever we started working. And we saw the older people and we saw them retire. And we said, ah, that's never going to happen to me. And now you look around and you realize just today I had a meeting with a group of new hires and, and realized very quickly that I am one of the older people inside our company. We've got more people skewing below 40 than we ever have before. And I think it is coming to the realization that, you know what, these are the new leaders. These are the people who are going to be leading this company in five to 10 years. And the way they think and the way they work is very different than perhaps how I grew up. But the best way to harness that creativity is to not handcuff them. And sometimes that's really tough. You've got to listen and and give them the freedom and the flexibility to do what they believe is right and the coaching to cheer them on even when they make mistakes because that's the quickest way for them to learn the business and you know what sometimes sometimes their ideas are far better than my ideas and and some of the things that they come up with are incredibly insightful and so i, I think that it is recognizing the worst thing you could do is say this is the way we've always done it and hey, I'm going to teach you how to do it this way so that you could do it that way for the next 10 years. Look at just the last 24 months. And if you and I were having this conversation 36 months ago, neither one of us would have known that we would be in remote working. We wouldn't have known some of the things that have happened around the world and how quickly the entire world changed. And I think that the velocity of change is going to continue. And the people who ultimately, Laura, will win are the ones that are very adaptable. And people who are really rigid and, and feel that things have to be a certain way are going to be too slow to react to the market changes and the consumer changes that are happening. 
And, and so what I love about this, this next generation is that they are the generation that we're trying to appeal to. And so we need to listen to them and give them the leeway to make decisions and, and really be part of the DNA of whatever Bumblebee looks like over the next 120 years. And if we can do that successfully, this business will be successful. But I can guarantee you it won't be if we try to manage it the way we managed it 20 years ago. That just, it won't work. So I get super excited about the people side of this business because I know that people and good people and and team members that come to the work excited about what they're doing, they are the ones that are going to make a successful brand. No question about it. And, and I think that if we can all keep that in mind, you know, we will do amazing things. And, and we've seen that. We've seen that just in what we've been able to do the last couple of years. I love that. Uh, it's a good segue into our last question. Then we'll have a few rapid fire ones that are a little bit of fun. Um, what are you most excited about when you look at the future of Bumblebee? I'm most excited about the fact that we have an incredible opportunity to change the trajectory of a category that has been declining and not only stop the trajectory, but make it go the other way. And we're going to do that again through our innovation and in our people combined with sustainability. And it, what makes me so excited about it is that it's not easy. And there isn't a silver bullet answer. And whatever I think the answer is on Monday, by Wednesday, it's going to be proved wrong. And we're going to need to change strategy and do something different. But it is always changing. And again, I, I can't I can't thank enough the team members that uh, are around the Bumblebee Seafood Company. It's an incredible amount of talent. And I know that you know, we are going to win. And, and to me, that keeps me energized. I love that. All right. So now we'll close out with uh, my favorite segment, some rapid fire questions. The first is, what's your favorite product right now? Protein on the run. Definitely protein on the run. What about outside of your company? Oh, well, most of the food I eat is made by Bumblebee <laughs> Seafood. It can be uh, anything. It can be, it can be cosmetics. It can be, you know, anything, any product. I would say uh, out here in California, there's a company uh, called Zambazon, and they make acai bowls. And there are times I wake up in the morning and I have fantasies about the acai bowl because they're so good. Really? So I, I love a good acai bowl. Yeah, this one is fantastic. Okay, I'll have to give it a shot. What product or packaging trend do you think is over or underrated and why? One that you feel very strongly about, over, underrated, why? A packaging trend. Let's see. Uh, well, I, I will say that one of the, I don't know if this is a trend or this is a direct answer to your question, but one of the things that I, you look at uh, packaging like e-commerce and Amazon and packaging that, you know, individual units that are coming to people's homes as we buy more products online. I think you're definitely seeing that. And I think that that one is concerning to me because you've got, we have to, as an industry, figure out how do we get products from origin to consumer and, and not tax the environment like I feel like we are with all these. And I mean, just today, I, I got a couple of packages. I won't say where they came from, but my, lots of packaging, lots of packaging that I think is uh a bit of a strain on our environment. So I think that trend of people buying e-commerce and trying to get individual units shipped to their house as frequently as we're doing, because, you know, um, that is going to tax the environment. So if we could figure that out, I think that that's kind of an answer to 
your question on both sides. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. So this is my this is my personally favorite segment. It's called Kill Keep Change. We're gonna pick three <laughs> random products, kill or discontinue. Okay. We're gonna pick three random products. N- none of yours are in here, so don't worry. Um, okay. So you have to pick which one would you kill slash discontinue? What would you keep and what would you change and why? All right. So here we go. The first one we have is <laughs> lip gloss. The second one we have is dark chocolate. Oh. And then I know this is going to be hard. The third one. Oh, is champagne. So you have oh. champagne, lip gloss, or dark chocolate. What do you kill, keep, or change? Wow, these are hard. Oh, my. All right. Keep is champagne for sure. Easy one. That, but that means I have to kill something, which oh. is going to be hard for me. Um, what do I kill? I guess I'd kill lip gloss if I had to kill one. Uh, and then dark chocolate, I would change it and make the packages bigger. Signif- oh, I love that. <laughs> wow. That, those were hard choices, and I feel like you knocked that out of the park. That was hard. I mean, who would ever kill champagne? I mean, that's an easy You can't. One, and, can't. And honestly... Champagne and dark chocolate, I feel like go together. So you can't, you can't break them up. Lip gloss just had to go. It but. had to only because of its contenders, you know, but uh, anyway, yeah, we, we'll, fun we still have chopstick. Um, okay. well, Jan, thank you so much for joining us. How can people follow your journey and the journey of Bumblebee? Uh, we uh, follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook, follow us on our, you know, our webpage or or find us where a lot of people forget to shop, Center Store. We're right there. We are right there with lots of really exciting products. In the canned seafood aisle, even though most of them are. Hey, hey that's my takeaway from this. You've, you've helped me out with sales. We're going to talk to the retailers and try to get that changed. Well, Jen, thank you so much for joining us. And for those listening, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Uh, if you like this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show. And Jan, we'll catch you soon. Thank you so much. Beyond the Shelf is presented by Specrite, the first cloud-based platform for specification management. Say goodbye to spreadsheets, share drives, and legacy systems, and digitize your specs in a secure single source of truth. With Specrite, you can easily share and collaborate on specs with other departments and across your entire supply chain network. Taking a spec-first approach enables you to accelerate product and packaging development, go to bid faster, report on sustainability, and ultimately spend less time chasing data and more time making amazing things. To learn more, visit specright.com. That's S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T.com.